we can we can find our seats. We got a got a busy busy Sunday morning with uh, baptisms, communion, all kinds of stuff. Hey, a couple of things I just want to call your attention to before we dive into the word. Number one, um, if you have in your bulletin, if you have your bulletin, you'll notice that the baby bottle campaign—it's uh, a fundraising thing for Hope Center. Uh, which is a great organization in the city of Fort Wayne. That's going to start next week in Mother's Day. Uh, there'll be some uh, bottles out there. You just fill them with coins, and it, it goes 100% to the Hope Center and just helping in that, uh, in that arena. Great ministry. Also, we have a, uh, another announcement. Nathaniel Mervar is going to come up and share a little bit about uh, quiz. Where's your... Is there a mic up here? Thank you, Nathaniel. I was in uh, Bible quiz, and I will say it like I've said many times, uh, Bible quizzing was more important to me than my seminary education, um, because all you do is memorize and hide the Word in your heart, and that is so vital, and so I'd encourage any of you, if you have kids coming up to that age, to, to encourage them. My daughter is finally going to be old enough. Uh, I pity uh, anybody who's going to be competing against a Schumacher because we are super competitive. <laughs> so I expect, this is a traveling trophy, and I expect it to stay here for at least 10 years. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Hey, if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 9 through uh, 12. If you would stand with me as we read this. 1 Peter Chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. We, we do this in order to just put a, a precedent that what we're teaching this morning comes from the Word, not from man's thoughts. And so that's why we like to just make sure we are clear in reading it before we start. So 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time to gather together as your people and to proclaim the truth of the gospel. Father, I pray that this morning your word would go forth and that you would speak boldly to us, that you would challenge us and equip us. We pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Please be seated. 
We are starting a series this week on uh, what is HGC, who are we, what are we uh, 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 seeking to accomplish. And when we talk about Highland Gospel Community, HGC, we talk about this local fellowship here. And I have been extremely burdened as I've been kind of working through this for a couple of weeks now. And the Lord has just really laid on my heart this message this morning, and, and uh, I just hope that I can convey it in a way that is clear to you. Because I love this church, it, it, it has been my home for the last 12 years of ministry, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. So who are we? What is our purpose? What are we trying to accomplish? I think we need to establish a couple of things. We're going to dive into this text a little bit, and we're going to talk about a number of things. But I want to distinguish, uh, when we talk about church, there is a difference when we read through the Scriptures where it talks about church. There's a difference between the universal church and the local church. The universal church being the entire broad spectrum of the world and, and the believers. And then when we talk about the local church, and there are many times where the church is specifically referring to a specific locale. And so when we talk about HGC and we're going to talk about who we are, we're talking about the local church, this fellowship of believers. I want to highlight a couple of things. This is my introduction. I'm going to dive into this. I want to say what a church is not. Because I think we've gotten mindsets that a church is this and that. A church is not a building. If this building right here did not exist, HEC would still continue to exist. Because this building, that's one of the reasons why when I try and talk and I'm trying to be intentional with my children, I say we are going to the church building, not the church. Because this is not the church, we are the church. The church is not uh, uh, an event, it's not Sunday morning. Sunday morning is not the church. Coming together in this service is not church. It's not just a group of Christians. You know, the verse where two or three are gathered together, that's not church. The church is an assembly of people. And when we talk specifically about this church, we're talking about the believers that belong to this local body of believers. And so I would ask, if you were asked to describe HGC to someone, how would you describe it? Because we talk about, you know, who are we? What is HGC? And somebody would come up to you and say, hey man, I know you're part of Highland Gospel Community. What is Highland Gospel Community? Could you explain it to me? And I, and I think as I thought about that this week, I thought of a number of things and it, and it kind of settled in that I want to be make sure that we are clear in our communication about who we are, why we are, and I think, and I'm convinced, I would like us to be moving forward with this understanding. I want us to have some direction on how to answer that in three points. Number one, I want us to be described as a gospel-defined church. A gospel-defined church. Second, I want us to be described as a gospel-driven church. And third, as a result, we will be a gospel-declaring church. That's a lot. And it's incredible when it's true. But I think before you even dive into that, I think it's very important that we just not assume that we all know what the gospel is. 
So many of us, if we were asked the question, what is the gospel, how would we define that? How would we describe it? I think the gospel is simplified into about four or five points. Number one, that God, a holy God, made a world with people that were without sin, innocent. That humanity sinned by not keeping God's law. And the result was that everybody now stands guilty before God. That's the reality. And and we say, well, where's the gospel? Because gospel is simply a Greek word that means good news. That's not good news when we start to consider it. That God, a holy and perfect God without sin, created a beautiful creation, put in it a people that were innocent, free of sin and condemnation. They violated his law and now stand condemned before him, guilty as charged. And the reality is that mankind has been trying to get rid of its guilt ever since. Has it not? I mean, that's what religion is. We talk about religion. Well, I don't, you know, you you talk about to somebody that is not a, a, a Christian or somebody that does not attend church, and they say, well, I just don't get this whole religion thing. Everybody practices religion in the world. Every single human being. Religion is simply this. It's a way, whatever we are doing, to get rid of our guilt. That's religion. It's whatever we are trying to do. If, if you're just trying to suppress it, that's your religion. If you're trying to do good works so that you can overcome the bad in your life, that is your religion. That is religion. Well, here is the gospel, the good news, the heart of the gospel is that guilt can be taken away by Jesus. Amen. The gospel good news is that Jesus came to take the punishment that we all deserve, and the result is God treats me better than I deserve because of what Jesus did for me. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, because of his great love for me, Christ came and died. And I am redeemed, not by anything that I have done, but by faith in him. The reality of the gospel is that because of Jesus, we can be treated by God as though we had never done anything wrong. That's good news. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And the requirement in all of this, Peter said, or Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, the gospel I delivered unto you, I now deliver unto you that Jesus Christ died for sins and that he was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead that all who would believe in him shall not perish. The requirement is repent and believe. And that's the gospel, brothers and sisters. And if we look at the church and we begin to say that is our starting point, that is the center and the focus of what we are going to talk about for the rest of this time, that is essential for us to never forget. So what is the church? It is, first of all, gospel-defined. 1 Peter 2 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who what? Called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Brothers and sisters, gospel defined means this, that the church exists because of Jesus and the gospel. That's the only reason the church exists, is because of Jesus and the gospel. It is a formation, first of all. Once you were not a people, the, the Greek word for, for church is ekklesia, which is two Greek words, one meaning ek, uh, one being ek, which means out, and klesia, which means to be called. So the, the, the Greek word for church literally means those who are called out from the world 
And they gather together now. Once you were not a people, once you had not received mercy, the gospel literally forms the church. Without the gospel, there is no church. Chosen, redeemed, called out, and called together. The church is formed by the result of the gospel. And if there is no gospel, there are no redeemed and no church. The church is defined by the gospel, its formation, its foundation. It is the very foundation and focus of the church. The core doctrine that is held in the highest regard is the gospel. When we talk about theological differences, modes of baptism, uh, uh, when is the right time for someone to be baptized, when we can talk about theological differences on certain things, and some things can be opinionated, and some things can be differing upon, but the gospel never can be. It is non-negotiable that Jesus Christ came Perfect life, died for my sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day to take away guilt and condemnation for all who would believe. The church is the church because it believes the gospel. Not just a formation, not just a foundation, but a future. The gospel is is what defines the future of the church. All of the church's hopes and vision and, and moving forward are shaped by one thing, The gospel. That one day we will be, the church will be the very bride of Christ. That is our future. That God has called out of the world a people for himself. And because of the gospel, they are defined as the church. And the church is one day going to be united with Christ at a marriage supper with the Lamb. That's the future of the church. So when we talk about what we are doing, what is our vision, where are we going, it is always driven by and defined by the gospel. Any other definition will fall short. Our future as a church is founded upon the gospel, making it the very bride and treasure of Christ. In fact, we are going to take communion here in a little bit. Communion, you realize how awesome that is? It is a dress rehearsal for our marriage supper with the Lamb. That one day we will be celebrating with Him in glory for all eternity. And we get to declare that very fact as our future each time we celebrate communion. Let that be the light of how we take communion. So we say, who, what is HGC? I hope that we can honestly say that it is a gospel-defined church. A church that is formed by the gospel, a church that has as its foundation, its focus, the gospel, a church that says, my future exists defined by the gospel. That is awesome. But that's not the only thing. Not just a gospel defined, but a gospel driven church. You see, the gospel isn't just a doctrine to believe. It is something to experience. The church that believes the gospel must also experience it and build at its heart a culture for the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that I did not receive what I deserve and that God has treated me way better than I deserve. The gospel-driven church will always be impacted in three ways. Number one, it's conduct right? It's conduct. 
Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. It's conduct. The author of the gospel has given us an incredible example and he has laid it out for us on what if the gospel takes root in our heart and what the gospel conduct looks like. It is shaped and transformed. Conduct looks like a number of things. It looks like sacrifice. Because we see Jesus who offered himself, he gave himself and kept nothing back. In conduct, the gospel says that I will offer my life as a sacrifice, living to God. Conduct, it looks like servanthood. His example, the examples of Jesus are countless. He said that in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that he did not come to be served, but to offer his life and to serve as a ransom for many. That incredible Last Supper where Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room, he washes their feet, including Jesus, Judas, the one who would betray him. And he says to them in an incredible way, do you guys realize what I have just done for you? I, being your Lord and Master, have washed your feet and have left you an example that you also should wash and serve one another. The gospel in conduct is selflessness. His mindset was always focused on others. Jesus constantly, over and over again, Paul calls us to remembrance of it in Philippians chapter 2. He says, hey church, this is how you ought to behave. Let us each look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among you, which is that mind? That of Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather he emptied himself, taking form of a servant, born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even on his dying breaths, Jesus did not look to his own suffering, but he said, Father, forgive them. That's the model we have in conduct of how we ought to behave based on what the gospel has done to us as a church body. Imagine the church whose conduct is driven by the gospel that looks to keep nothing back for self but others and offers itself for one another. Imagine the church whose conduct is driven by the gospel that looks to relentlessly serve one another. Paul, in Romans chapter 12, he says, outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Strive to serve one another in such a way. Imagine the church whose conduct is driven by the gospel that looks to the needs of others instead of self. Imagine a church where we walk in and we say, I'm not here to be satisfied in my flesh by what goes on in worship or in the sermon, whether I like it or not, but I'm here to serve my brothers and sisters because I am here because Jesus gave me what I did not deserve. Imagine a church that has the gospel motive driving that. Not just in conduct, but commitment. The mark of the gospel is that it never lets go. Never lets go to one another. Over and over again, we're given commands by Jesus himself to one another. Love one another. Serve one another. That's the body The gospel should drive the church to a commitment to one another. The gospel-driven church, the gospel-defined church isn't like a family. It is a family. 
A commitment to one another, a commitment to never ceasing. Does the gospel ever give up? Does the gospel ever say, you wronged me too many times this time? You are not forgiven. Yet we hold our brothers and sisters sometimes to, to sins and hurts that they have committed against us, and we won't let go. But the gospel says each and every time, love never ceases. The gospel says Jesus has treated me far better than I ever deserved. We have the story in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus tells a parable about forgiveness and he says, if you are unwilling to forgive your brother, your heavenly father will not forgive you. And yet sometimes in the church we hold to bitterness and resentment. Imagine the church whose compassion, I'm sorry, whose commitment is driven by the gospel that looks to covenant to one another, to commit to one another and says, we will, God help us, do this to one another. Imagine the church that says we will, we will hold each other accountable to this too hard, too strong a commitment like that. Brothers and sisters, Jesus covenanted to you by his blood. And yet we sometimes are unwilling to commit to one another. Commitment, conduct, compassion. The gospel that I have received is undeserved love in such a way that I ought to love others. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for me. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Imagine the gospel-driven church that has a culture of love that should be distinct from every other assembly in the world. Jesus said to His disciples, John chapter 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you that you love one another and by your love for one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. It is a culture of grace that expresses itself in love for one another. Imagine the church whose compassion is gospel driven, that love no matter what the ethnicity, the social status, the stage of life, the maturity, or the mistakes that people have made. It is not the gospel if we only hang out with people like us. It is not the gospel if we only talk to people who are on the same stage of life as us. It is not the gospel if we are embarrassed to be around others because of their status or their intellect or their clothes. Just ask Peter about it. Galatians chapter 2, we're told of the story where Paul, in his righteous anger, comes to Peter and says, you know the gospel, your doctrine is right, but your practice is way off because you are embarrassed to be caught with the Gentiles who have been treated just as we were by Jesus. In fact, 
It undermines the gospel when we do those things. Jesus said, I'm not ashamed of them. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, did you know that Jesus declares your name before the congregation? He says, I am not ashamed to call them my brother. God accepts us. This is the truth. God accepts us because of Jesus, not because of anything we have done. Imagine the church whose culture is gospel-driven and its conduct and its commitment and its compassion. Imagine a church whose culture has been built on this very doctrine that God has treated me far better than I deserve. Imagine a church whose culture of the gospel drives it in such a way that we realize that, that we are all treated the same before God because of Jesus. Where humility overrides pride. Where grace shapes priorities, lifestyles, and relationships. Where there's freedom of shame because of grace. Where there's freedom from the fear of confessing our sins one to another instead of hiding our sins. Because we realize that this is a safe place where we can talk with one another because we are all under the same grace given to us by the gospel. Where there is time and space for a person to grow into maturity in place of expectations and shame for their lack of movement. Brothers and sisters, no one grows in the gospel under the threat of shame or judgment. It's not the gospel. No one can grow where it is dangerous to confess your sins. No one can grow when they're told they have a timetable to grow. Imagine a church whose culture is gospel-driven where a person can experience the grace that they have received. If people said the HGC was a gospel-driven church, these seats would be filled because there is no greater experience than the experience of God's marvelous grace. Out of darkness into His marvelous light. What an incredible thing. And guess what? When these things are growing in us, and and brothers and sisters, I have had to take my heart and examine it 12,000 times this week alone as I walk through this text because I'm like, man, yeah, I got that down. And then like three seconds later, yeah, no, I don't. This is not a condemnation. This is a, brothers and sisters, let us go upward and onward to a place where we can say HEC is a place where the grace of the gospel is driving its very focus and foundation and it is the thing that, that causes people to come because they realize that they can experience the incredible mercies of God. And the result of all that, when we have a gospel-defined church that is gospel-driven, is that it will always be a gospel-declaring church. That when we understand that our doctrine is defined by the very gospel that Jesus Christ has died to redeem mankind, and when we understand that the grace that we have received is the grace we should be offering to one another and encouraging and exhorting one another to onward and upward, when we do those things, the world looks at the church and says, they've got it, and glory to God. Read what it says 
Keep, or 1 Peter 2, 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify God. The result of a church that is through its words declaring the gospel, that it is realizing that the message of the gospel is such an incredible message that it has transformed my heart and my mind in such a way that I realize and I am so eternally grateful that when I worship, I am singing to God Almighty. When I have that as my heart motivation and my understanding, I am going to declare that glorious gospel to other people because it has changed me. There is no doubt that our words will proclaim the gospel. How can anyone not speak of that which has transformed them so radically? And if we experience the trueness of the grace of Jesus, we will want others to experience it. But not just through our words, but through our walk. Will it not be that those who walk seek to to display the very heart and character of God through the gospel in their church? And the results were that that the world that hates Jesus will see Jesus and they will say, praise God. I would love for people to look at this church and say, that church has got it right. I may not believe in God, but I know that there's something going on there. And believe me, brothers and sisters, we say, well, what is our purpose? Our purpose as a church is pretty simple. It's to bring glory to God. And if we live out the gospel, if we receive the gospel... If we take that in and then we begin to live it out amongst our brothers and sisters, we will do the very thing for which we were created, bring glory to God. I read from 1 Peter 2 at the start of our service. And I think there's something incredible there because sometimes we can look at all this and find it to be daunting. I heard a, uh, uh, there's a, a book that I was reading. I heard a sermon about this last week when I was in Virginia uh, on gospel culture and gospel doctrine. And in it, he talks about how you can have gospel doctrine, you can have the right truth, but if you don't have gospel culture, there's an equation that gospel doctrine without gospel culture is called hypocrisy. And gospel culture without gospel doctrine equals fragility, that it won't last. But if you have both of them together, it is called faithfulness. And that's what we strive for. And we sit here and we say, but, but man, there are so many weaknesses in my flesh. There are so many things I see. There's so much I don't know how and where to begin and how to start. Brothers and sisters, I have confidence in this church. You know Why? Because what we read to start our service. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are what? Being built up. The power of Christ does the building. The power of the gospel in our hearts transforms us. That The more we recognize the gospel of God's grace given to us, the more we are built like Him. 
the power to hold the doctrine of the gospel, the power to build, are 100% on Him. We're going to take communion here. And as we do so, it's neat that today we get to do the two ordinances that the church is prescribed with. Communion, the Lord's table, and baptism. Neither one are mystical. Neither one have have some special value that makes a person more holy. But they're a privilege. An incredible privilege. I already mentioned that when we take communion, when we take the Lord's table, we are pre rehearsing that great day where we will be married to the bride or to the to the to the husband Christ and that one day there will be a marriage feast like no other and we will get to enter into glory forever to be with our savior who has given us grace in incredible ways and so uh, both Paul and Jesus both said that each time you partake of this you do declare the gospel you do declare that the power of my death and resurrection, and you do declare that one day we will be reunited together for eternity. And it will be in a celebration. And then we are going to partake in baptism. It does not cleanse a person from sins. It doesn't make you more holy to go through the process, but what it does is it declares to the world, and it declares you guys are all here as witnesses. I don't know if these four individuals realize how serious a matter this is, that now they are opening themselves up and saying to each one in this room, I am a believer that Jesus Christ died for my sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead, and I have experienced the grace and the redemption of my soul, and you Now see me as an open book. And you can hold me to that gospel that I declare. And we get to participate. To celebrate with them the declaration of the the truth that God has transformed their lives. What an incredible thing. And, And all of it is the gospel. Both in the declaration of the Lord's table and in the baptismal waters. They declare the gospel. I'm going to have the elders come forward. And they're going to distribute the elements. And and as they do, I want you to just take some time and reflect upon your heart. To consider the things in your life that, that may be hindering you right now. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. We do what's called open communion here. Where we say, if you are here and you are a believer, you are welcome to join in the celebration of the Lord's table. But if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a personal relationship with Him, you please pass the elements pie. Don't pass up the opportunity that today could be a day that you could go and turn to Him who has died and taken away guilt. And as they distribute them, just hold your elements. Hold the the cup and the, the wafer, cracker, whatever it is. And then together we want to celebrate. Together as a family.
that one day we will have a marriage supper with the Lamb. I'm going to pray and then they're going to distribute them. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus died for our sins and that he was buried and rose again from the dead. And Father, I pray that today would be a declaration of all that the truth of your gospel, that we can be set free from guilt and condemnation. And Father, I pray that we would be, as a church, able to celebrate together as a family, that one day we will celebrate with you for eternity because we have been called by you. We worship you, we praise you, in Jesus' precious name, amen.